This is a Culture Inject production. Hello, everyone. On the Nevers podcast this week, our subject matter is sidekicks of the Whedonverse. So first, we want to say to please follow us on our website, hbothenevers.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at HBO The Nevers. Please stream and download The Nevers podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and literally anywhere you can find podcasts. We do have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash join slash The Nevers podcast, or just search The Nevers podcast on Patreon. Our benefits include helping to take some of the financial burden off of us, personalized shoutouts on the podcast, access to our VIP Facebook group, awesome The Nevers podcast swag, access to our Dollhouse Awaken. It's our show where we visit every episode of Dollhouse and more. So thank you to our Patreon supporters, which is Precious One, Moon Logic, Heather Malone, and Florette Benoit. I'm Kelly, and I'm joined by Tyg and Gina. Hey, hey. Ahoy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so first we're going to just catch up with everyone, because it's been a little bit since we all got together on a general kind of podcast episode. So yeah, folks, how have you been doing? You two were so uh, fortunate to be able to do the Dennis O'Hare interview so how was that and how are you doing during this whole self-isolation quarantine which has kind of been lifted at least here in uh, Canada but yeah how are you two doing <sighs> we still have so many cases every day um I I drive my sister to work because I'm working from home and I see so many people walking around without masks and so many things so it's it's kind of frustrating <laughs> yeah <sighs> and I feel like we're slowly kind of opening a little bit um, the state of California, but LA, in my opinion, is probably going to be the last to open because we still have it pretty bad. Um, yeah, so it's frustrating. But the good part about it is I've been able to be very creative. So I've written a lot of scripts and I've written a few songs. So at least I, I feel like some people are really um, not productive right now, which, duh, of course, that's totally okay, but I feel like I've been very non-productive the past three years, so I feel like I'm catching up. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, I uh, my partner is, he's a filmmaker, and before all this started, he had a variety of projects kind of on the go, or at least planning to start, and unfortunately, that has fallen to the wayside for now, and who knows when that's going to be able to get started up again, because like you book uh, like locations and actors time and everything. And when are you able to, to get that back? Who knows? So everything's kind of just pushed off to the side, unfortunately. Um, which is, I think if somebody is prone to, you know, it finding it challenging to get motivated and be motivated, and then they feel like, well, I should be productive, but they're not. And then they feel bad about it. But like, I don't, I don't, I think personally, I just don't understand the, that feeling, but just like, if you're not feeling motivated, it's totally understandable. And it's like, just relax. Like this is a really unprecedented time and just do whatever it is you need to do to kind of like get by. For me personally, I generally am a pretty motivated person. Like some days, yeah, I just watch movies on 2B TV constantly, but then the other days I'm like, pumping out articles and getting a lot of stuff done. So I think everybody just needs to be a little bit easier on themselves. Yeah. yeah How about you, Ty? Fair. 
I'm sort of halfway between the two. I finally f- f- fixed my keyboard and got a replacement keyboard sorted, so I can, I've started typing again, writing again, which is good. But at the same time, I've also been binge-watching a lot of crappy 90s TV shows. I'm uh, I'm halfway through season four of The Tribe, which <laughs> was once a you know funny joke show and is now a somber reflection of outside. Yeah. I also found a show from the 90s, which I was pretty sure I'd imagined, but apparently is real, called The Odyssey, about a young boy... So he's from Canada, so he's from your neck of the oh. woods. The, um, he falls out of a treehouse and knocks himself into a coma and wakes up in this kind of alternate reality where they worship his father when his father was a kid. It's super strange, but really good. And weirdly, so far, I've seen um, Jewel State, a.k.a. Oh. Kaylee from Firefly, uh, Sarah Chalk, a.k.a. Elliot from Scrubs, yep. and the antagonist of season one is Ryan Reynolds. Oh my goodness gracious. But they're, they're all like 14. It's the craziest yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> I it's love just, those the weirdest show. <laughs> yeah, it's all on YouTube, so you can you can watch it all on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of I'm varying wildly between you know some days I sort of you know play I write articles, make podcasts, interview legendary celebrities from American TV shows, and then some days I watch rubbish '90s TV shows on YouTube, and there seems to be no middle ground. It's one or the other. <laughs> I kind of want to say this because I maybe I'll never be able to say this again, but my sister and I, the past two weeks have had like, we had a meeting with a manager, we've had a meeting with a production company, and like, we've been really trying to screenwrite for the past four years, and like, we moved to LA eight years ago, so it it feels like a dream that it's almost like a first step yeah. into the industry. This is going to take a long time and I'm patient, but it's it's kind of nice. I, I feel bad. It feels like I'm like yeah. living my best life right now. <laughs> it's weird. It is a strange time, but I, I'm glad that there's still opportunities to be had for people. You know what I mean? It's not like everything's completely shut down. Like there is still work to be done and opportunities to be had. Like when this first started happening, there was a like a mini job opportunity that came up for me. And I was like, well, this is a perfect time. It's all like website content work uh, that's related to my, to my field. And I was like, oh, well, this is actually really wonderful news for me. And I get like this side gig, I get some extra money, but it's also really great for exposure for myself and my career. And I was like, oh, well, this is really great. Also kind of good timing because I'll have the time to sit down and do website content because prior to that, I, I wasn't really sure how I was going to make it work, but I was going to because it was such a good opportunity. So I've been able to like just kind of slide and ease into that because of all of this. So you know, it's I'm I'm just glad that there are still opportunities for folks because I feel like there's there's a lot of not missed opportunities, but just a lot of stagnation that that's happening, and that I think is just very discouraging. So I'm I'm very happy for you, and I'm glad that that has been able to to, to happen for Thank you, you now. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Any. Any books or, or movies or TV shows? I know Tyke mentioned the 90s shows on YouTube. And every time I hear the phrase 90s show, I, I have to think about BoJack Horseman. <gasps> Sorry, I'm going to bring it up always. Um, but what about <laughs> <laughs> what about you, um, Kelly? Are you watching anything? Oh, my God. You're very slowly convincing me to watch BoJack Horseman. So it, I, I feel like it's going to happen. <laughs> 
So generally, I have been watching a lot of 2B TV, which is a free uh, streaming app. There are some ads, but it's totally worth it because they have an incredible, diverse selection of TV and movies of different genres, but they have over a thousand horror titles. So I've been spending a lot of time with that. Um, Speaking of 90s TV shows, yesterday or two days ago, I started my rewatch of Dawson's Creek. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. So um, uh, before, well, actually, well, Buffy came out and it was on the WB and at around the same time, I was still kind of watching a bit of like Dawson's Creek and like Seventh Heaven and other like teen drama shows. Um, But I kind of like once I got more into Buffy and it got a little bit older and got into more horror and like grim stuff, I just like grew out of quote unquote Dawson's Creek and stuff like that. But uh, so I haven't really seen the later seasons. I think it's like there's six seasons. Anyways, holy moly, there's so much drama packed, so much teen drama packed into every single episode that it is almost exhausting. But uh, the music is so perfectly 90s. (laughs) We've got Amanda Marshall, lots of Jan Arden, which is all, this is all Canadian stuff. Um, Savage Garden. The music is just, it's bringing me back. It's bringing me back. Like this show is ridiculous. And then like looking at like Katie Holmes and, James Vanderbeek, oh, and Joshua Jackson. It's like really great actors. Just like this is them as like 16 year olds and it's slightly painful, but it's been, <laughs> I've been watching so many episodes. <laughs> it's like, it's on Amazon Prime. So I'm just like, press play and just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> like I remember liking it at the time, but I just, oh, I do love Kevin Williamson because he's done a lot of really fantastic horror movies. Um, but, oh my, why am I even still watching it? I'm not sure. I think it's that like just morbid curiosity, but, uh, yeah, a lot of horror movies, a lot of 2B TV and now I've started Dawson's Creek. There is also the last thing that I've kind of been doing is I came across this millennium horror list. So like late nineties, early two thousands, mid two thousands horror movies that came out, which was all like very teen related, like a lot of Eliza Dishku, which is really exciting for me. (laughs) Soul survivors, wrong turn. (laughs) Um, But uh, just the the list on Vulture was really, really funny, but there's a lot of stuff that I grew up on uh, like Halloween H2O, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, and just like stuff like that. So like Jessica Biel was in Texas Chainsaw remake. And there was like this whole list of how like white, white tight tank tops were like really hip during like the early aughts and it's hilarious so like this is my pandemic watch list it's millennium horror because there is there is an aesthetic there is an aesthetic there that was really funny to me so I'm kind of whatever I can find and I don't own I'm I've been kind of going through that you can't make a 90s horror film without a white tank top and a new metal soundtrack Oh, exactly. Everywhere. The new metal soundtrack. All the <laughs> Seriously, time. The, the soundtrack oh. to Scream 3 is just oh. one of the greatest soundtracks yeah. ever put together. Yeah. So many amazingly <laughs> terrible bands. Like Power oh Man 5000. So. <laughs> and like all these unknown bands. It's, uh, it's just, yeah, it's really enjoyable. That's pretty much what I've been. And then like doing the writing for the website and Spencers of Horror stuff and Dollhouse and. I mean, I'm filling up my time. Definitely filling up my time with fun things. Hanging out with the cats. 
for me, besides rewatching Bojack Horseman, uh, my sister and I are also writing, I think we've mentioned this before, a Barry episode for like TV contests and stuff. So I'm going to be rewatching all of Barry. Have you guys seen Barry? Have I talked? I haven't, no. but it's been mentioned to me about five times by different people, so it's definitely on my list. Oh, Please, mm. please watch it. Those are the two shows I would recommend anyone. But anyway, so besides BoJack and Barry, I Avatar The Last Airbender Woo. just dropped on Netflix. I have only oh. ever seen, I think, the first season and a half because... My friends that I was watching it with, they moved out of our apartment complex. So me and my sister had no access to it. But now, years later, it's all on Netflix. So I am also going to be watching that all weekend. Have you guys ever seen it? Uh, no. Is that the same friends that ran away and stopped you from watching Dollhouse? <laughs> no. So this is a common occurrence, apparently. Clearly. Yeah. That was Dollhouse was Florida <laughs> friends. Avatar was LA friends. Uh, okay. Like I say, I, I do really, I do really love Avatar. That and Legend of Korra are both fantastic. Um, I think Avatar has a better overarching story throughout the three seasons, but Korra has the better individual seasons. But they're in the wrong order. Once you finish watching Korra, I'll send you my pitch for how I would have rearranged the seasons to give it a better arc. But- Please, but yeah, those three shows I recommend. I know that's a lot of viewing, but your life will be better for it i promise <laughs> i will chime in because i binged the, se- uh, the second season of dead to me in like 24 Ooh, I hours watch that i want to see um, dead to me yeah i don't I, I don't watch a lot of drama related stuff but those actresses like christina applegate and i believe it's linda cardinelli are just brilliant and every once in a while i do like a human drama and that one, I just immediately was drawn to, like, Christina Applegate. Holy moly. She is just a powerhouse. And it just, I think it's really well written. written. It's poignant and it's heartbreaking, but it's also really funny and relatable. And, you know, just like, I just love that it shows these women that they're a, they're a mess. They're both a mess and they kind of become really close best friends and... They make bad choices and good choices. And I just love the complexity of these two women and putting them together. I just, I'm obsessed with it. And I, this is my recommendation for folks is definitely watch Dead to Me. It's incredible. All right. I think we'll m- move on to the news. Um, we, yeah, we will move on to the news. One slight problem. There is no news. Go. <laughs> but two things which aren't quite news, but sort of are. One, firstly, uh, the British government, for some strange reason, is um, kind of lessening the restrictions on filming TV and movies. So although it hasn't started yet, there is a chance within the next month the Nevers may get the green light to start filming again. But uh, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Secondly, on a much brighter note, our vampiric women, our, our very own vampiric horror lady... Kelly, who's just over there, uh, wrote an I'm amazing here. article about women that bite for the website, and it got retweeted and commented and loved by none other than oh Drusilla herself, Juliet Landau. So if we, a moment to uh, recognize yay. the hero in our midst. Oh, my God. I was sitting on my couch, and it was like almost midnight, and I was on Twitter, and I was like, what? I just about died. She and like when something like that happens and my like Instagram, you know, surprises with J. August Richards just shows me that, you know, while she's 
on top of social media and she appreciates fans and recognizes what people are doing. And I love that. Um, I'm not huge into celebrity culture, but I do love when they just show recognition and just be like, oh, yeah, look, people enjoy what I do and they have a sense of humor about it. They recognize it. And so her doing that, which I had no any any expectations and I don't even think sorry, she had retweeted the the Nevers podcast doing that and I didn't even think she was necessarily tagged in it. Um, I try to tag people in my stuff. Yeah. So somehow through the magic of the internet, magic of Twitter, she she found it. And yeah, she's excited about the Nevers, but she liked, I'm going to assume anyways, that she read what I wrote and um, and that she liked it. And I just, I love that so much. And she is just a really interesting individual. I'm waiting for her documentary on vampires. Yes. Can it be yes. called a documentary? Vampires aren't real, <laughs> but you know, it's like a... <laughs> I mean, they're totally real. Yeah. I think it's a doc- isn't it more about kind of our attitude towards vampires more than Yes, yeah. It's- yeah, it's like vampires in film. Yeah, it's called Undead, and I've been hearing about it for many, many years, and mm. I'm hoping that that will eventually come out. But then Gina chimes in and is like, hey, we're friends. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you say that like the moment we met? <laughs> I know it's it's weird. I don't like to, um okay, bragging's not the right word. But you know what I mean. You know how some people Name are dropping. Like, yeah. These are all the people yeah. I know. Um yeah. yeah. <laughs> I Okay, really quick story about Juliet Lando actually. So the last weed and con in LA, oh my god, this is the first time I'm really telling anyone. Oh, okay. So the last weed and con in Los Angeles, which was, I think, last spring, so almost a year ago. So there's round tables where the actors sit down with like six to eight people and they rotate like, let's say, every 10 minutes. So when Juliet sat at our table, she recognized my sister and I and like, we hadn't seen her for a few years, but we're Facebook friends. So I was like, oh, she's not going to recognize me. I don't care. But if she did, she's like, how are you two? I've been like, you know, looking at your Facebooks all the time. And I'm just like, Okay. Oh my god. I'm I'm dead, right? <laughs> that's not that's not the point of the story. Anyway, so that happened, but then at the end of the weekend, there is a special um Drusilla and Spike thing. So something uh. Juliet Landau and James Marsters were gonna do, and we had no idea. So they led us to this like this room in this hotel and it was all decked out with like Buffy props and like it, oh it made God. it seem like it was like yeah, like a cemetery and there's only oh. twenty of us and, and you had to pay for this, but worth it worth it (laughs) oh my god so when we all sat down the moderator was like okay everyone write down um a sentence and it has to do with i'm now forgetting what the word was but let's say it has to do with the word um the forest or something so everyone's like okay so we all wrote (laughs) down like a a made-up sentence on a sheet of paper and then we put it in a bowl and then one by one James and Julia read out the sentence and then they had to improv a scene together as Spike and Drusilla. Oh my God. Uh, I lost my mind because they're I'm like my, my mind. They're like my OTP. Like, yep. They're, that's, oh. Yep. So it's yep. just like, I never thought I'd get to see, like, it almost felt like new Spike and Drew scenes performing yeah. live right in front of me and then it was crazy when they actually said the sentence that i wrote because i'm like 
technically I just wrote a sentence for Spike and Drew to talk about. I, I was, <laughs> it was honestly oh. probably the best experience of my life. It's amazing. It just felt like Spike and Drew were back. I, yep. Oh yeah. Oh, they're just fantastic. I really want to see a spin-off crossover show, whatever, where Spike and Drew go on adventures with um, Eric Northman and Pam from True Blood. Yes. I think those four yes. together oh my would be absolute God. chaos. Um, are we talking pornography here? Because... <laughs> <laughs> More than likely, yeah. I mean, things are going to happen with, with those four in a room together. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry if you mentioned them before. I mean, yep, that's <laughs> you know? why I'm saying this. Yes, you I know, mean, it probably wouldn't start off that way, but that's probably how it'll end. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! Thirsty, Amazing. thirsty. <laughs> I only watched uh, season one of True Blood, but I know exactly who you were talking about in that show. So goodness, yep, gracious. yep. <laughs> uh um, but yeah, Juliet Landau, if we can score an interview with her, would be amazing. And that one I 100% will make sure that I am free for because oh, yeah. wowzers. We'll, we'll all do it. I mean, there's oh, no way, yeah. you know, there's no mm. way. Um, yeah, so my Drusilla piece is now out. And honestly, during Ooh. doing the research and everything, I fell even more in love with Drusilla, the character, because she is fascinating. And her portrayal of her is brilliant so folks yeah i i loved i love that article thank kelly you. and um just mm. my favorite character and mm-hmm. yeah i found a lot of insightful things that i never even thought about so thank major you. kudos thank you well we will talk about her in july i'm gonna do monstrous women of the uni- uh, universe oh goodness monstrous <laughs> women of the weed inverse looking forward to that for sure This episode of the Nevers Podcast is sponsored by Dead Good Teas, aficionados of the sci-fi and horror genre and creators of premium heavyweight t-shirts and hoodies that are built to last. Dead Good Teas ships worldwide, so whether you're braving the Arctic winds of the Yukon or strolling the beaches of beautiful Thailand, Dead Good Teas has you covered. Thank you to Dead Good Teas for supporting quality podcasting. Start shopping today at deadgoodteas.co.uk and don't forget, you can follow them on Line at Dead Good Tees. So let's move on to the reason why we're all here today. So another blog uh, post that I had written, now it's a couple of months ago, but it's called, it was called I'm Not Your Sidekick, but today we're talking about the sidekicks of the Weedinverse. I'm not your sidekick. I love sidekicks. And the reason why I was inspired to write that piece was because I've started a rewatch of Angel. And of course, in season one, we have Doyle. And I love Doyle so much. And as much as I do love Wesley, I wish there, I just wish Doyle would have been around for a longer period of time. I really would have loved to have seen what that character could do, what kind of arc he would have had. Like, I love, I love his story and I, I do love him. So he was my inspiration for, for writing that. Um, how do you folks feel about Doyle? Doyle. Love Doyle. And it, it gets so much sadder when you kind of realize why he left the show and everything that he, happened to him afterwards. Yeah. But that's, that's for another topic, that's another time, a, a much more depressing podcast. Yeah. So let's <laughs> stick to Doyle. Yeah. Um, I would say, like, 100, I 100% agree, he would have been fantastic to keep going through the series. And I think some, there's part of me that thinks if he'd stuck around, the show would have been very, very different. Not just because Wesley wouldn't have been there, but. 
I just have this sneaking suspicion that him and Cordy would have made the absolute best pair and we wouldn't have had the whole Angel Cordelia mm. arc because it would have been very much about Doyle and Cordelia and it would have been amazing. That would have been an interesting, I'm going to say power couple, but I will say on this rewatch, I am really excited to see the Cordelia Angel relationship develop. And I think, I think, and this is a very controversial thought that came into my head that I might be more into Angel Cordy than Angel Buffy. <sighs> I just love how much more practical and organic. And I mean, I think if you look back, it's just like Buffy was a teenager when that all happened. So there's a lot of like teenage hormones and everything's just so dramatic. Talking about Dawson's Creek. It just like was so <laughs> dramatic and life or death and so emotional and intense all the time. Whereas I love that. And I might change my mind. I'm now into season three uh, of Angel, but um, just love how just, yeah, just organically and sweetly it kind of just started. It happens. It's just, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it all goes. But that was a thought that came into my head. And I never thought that I would think that because I am a huge bangle fan. I guess that's what you would call it. <laughs> please, please don't. Sidekicks are... And a very important part to the our heroes' lives and to our stories. And I know we'll specifically talk about the Whedon verse, but if there's any like random other sidekicks that you think are worth mentioning, um, please do. I don't watch a lot of I think films or or shows besides you know Whedon related stuff that would have sidekicks per se. So my scope is kind of limited, but. Um, uh, some of the references that I used for the blog post talked about uh, the different archetypes of sidekicks. And there are seven of them. So I'll go through the seven most common types of sidekicks. And there's definitely weed and verse options for all of these. So there's the innocent, which are like they either are children or they're just very childlike. They're naive. They're happy. Um, they always try to do things like for the right reasons and the right way. And they're very optimistic. Um, so an example of that would probably be, and like sidekicks can be like strongly coded as like one archetype or like it'd be a mixture of everything. I mean, humans are complex, so they're likely a mixture of things. But for me, I feel like perhaps Willow would fall into this cause she is just adorably optimistic and very positive and I, she's lovely and she's perfectly like this innocent character in Buffy. Do you have any other examples of of this archetype? Do you think in, in anything but the Whedon verse? I have a, a perfect. It was one of my favorite examples of the innocent mm. in any media, and I have a feeling I know how the reaction this is going to get. One of my favorite characters in any media, and it's a certain young waif-like sprite by the name of Todd Chavez. Yes, from BoJack. Yes, I was going to say that next. I figured that would happen. <laughs> He's, just, he's one of my favorite characters of all time, voiced brilliantly by Aaron Paul. He starts off as like just kind of a slightly dopey stoner, and he's a bit one note, and his, the jokes are all kind of they don't fall flat because yeah, budget too well written for that. But then like they're all a bit kind of samey. But then over the course of the series, he just grows into one of the most brilliant characters in a show set up by its brilliant characters, and he kind of. He passes, he kind of verges between Innocent and Jester, who we'll get to later, but very much with his whole kind of outlook on life and the, the contrast he gives to Bojack, who is just all about kind of drugs and sex. Mm -hmm. 
to Todd, who is very innocent and like has no interest in sex at all, literally. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a it's a brilliant, brilliant use of the character and a use of the greater archetype. Yeah. And 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 so the innocent as a sidekick, the main goal is to be happy. That is literally Todd. And that's what, in my opinion, makes his character so unique because there's so many characters and so many different things that are like, my goal is to become famous. Mm-hmm. My goal is to do this. But mm-hmm. literally Todd, he doesn't really have an external goal, just an internal goal of wanting to be happy. And mm-hmm. please watch it. Yeah. So there's, you know, yes, great examples of of the innocent and even like going back to Willow because she's kind of just standing out in my mind right now and like you talked about sex and sexuality but like she's very much a non-sexual being until her and Oz get together really in like season three to season four but even still like that's very much downplayed as a portion of her identity as as the character more upplayed uh when it comes to her and Tara which is a whole subject matter all on its own, but still like that she retains that, like that sweetness. Um, yeah, I'm going to just going to the sweetness and she's always very positive and she always, and you know, she always wants to do the right thing and she is such a wonderful sidekick. The next one is one of my personal favorites is the rebel. The rebel is someone who believes that rules are meant to be broken they're going to overthrow the system. They want they either like want a revolution or a revenge. Um, they're there to kind of like shock or disrupt or destroy things. There might be a little radical, a little bit outrageous. And I'm going to bring up Faith because we all know that I love Faith. And she is definitely a very rebellious character in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is like the perfect example. Also Spike, I will Ooh, say. Ooh, yes. Yep. Yeah, you know, and, and actually, that's what I love about Spike and Faith. Actually, they're really alike, but also so different. Mm-hmm. So I kind of hate when people are like, "Oh, Spike and Faith, they're like the other like gender version of each other," because mm-hmm. like that's not true. Yeah. So the fact that like Joss can figure out having two characters that are so similar but they're so different, like mm-hmm. that's so hard, and like he nails it. You know, totally. Um, let's just briefly think about a Spike and Faith union. There's so much leather happening. Yes. (laughs) And it would not come off. (laughs) Or would it? Um, Who would be a rebel? Probably Gun. Gun in Angel um, and Firefly. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Jane is definitely... Well, they're almost all rebels. Almost. Like Mal and Jane. and. (laughs) I think the thing with Firefly is that they're all rebels, but then then they have like kind of sub-genres of... Kaylee is the rebel innocence. Uh, sort of, Mouth for kind of the, the rebel orphan, sort of. Wash is the rebel jester. Anara is the rebel and my wife. Oh, <laughs> you know, like- I love her. <laughs> okay, what about in Dollhouse? Is there a rebel? Um, Alpha? But does he count because he's kind yeah. of psych- psychopathic? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess wait. Echo too. Eventually, I, I maybe. I almost put him more into kind of the the orphan category than mm. the rebel. Yeah, yeah. Carolyn probably would be the rebel. Okay, okay. Well, that's why she's there in the first place. I'm trying to think not too far ahead to spoil yeah. anything. We it's hard talking about Dollhouse because we don't want to oh, spoil God, anything. Yeah. We've already spoiled enough, talked about <laughs> enough. It's yeah. really hard. But that's a, that's a tough one because so many of our characters aren't quote unquote real people. So it's hard. 
well, that's the kind of thing too. And just like, who is, and that was a thought that came into my head. And just like, there's very, in certain shows like that are really all about like the balance between good and evil, Buffy and Angel, we have very specifically our heroes, which are Buffy and Angel, the names of the damn show, um, you know, and then everybody <laughs> around them are necessary, are coded, they're like seen as the sidekicks. But then there also can be very prominent characters overall. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of like nuance and, and blending of, of you know, sometimes who we see as sidekicks. Like, I feel like some of them are very, very much a sidekick. Like Tara, as much as I think she is a pretty prominent character in Buffy, she still doesn't get as much screen time or development as somebody like Willow. So I feel like she's, more of an obvious sidekick. Dawn is a bit more obvious of a sidekick. If she even would be necessarily a sidekick, she kind of helps out a little bit. She kind of just exists. I don't really like Dawn. But she's, <laughs> she's a plot device. I she like is. <laughs> of course you do. She's a plot device. On my device. recent Buffy rewatch, I just, I'd absolutely had it with Dawn after about two episodes. Oh, I, just can't I love be her. With her. It's just, okay. So my sister and I have a little brother and I feel like if people have had like younger siblings it's just so accurate it's so accurate and it it gives Buffy like a different kind of role in season five to like really take care of someone else which I really like and it's not a love interest yeah so yeah Yeah. for sure I know she's a plot device but yeah and Michelle (laughs) Trachtenberg I think is such a great actress (laughs) yeah yeah oh Dawn what's she been up to recently then we come to the lover so this one I'm not even, I'm not as familiar with, and maybe you two can help me out with this, but uh, so this one is looking for, quote unquote, the love, uh, the one, uh, the main goals surrounded by wanting to be surrounded by people and things that they love. They yearn for intimacy and experience or scared of being left alone. Um, they're very uh, passionate and committed and perhaps likely grateful and appreciative Uh, In the article, they gave uh, Trinity from The Matrix as Coda's a sidekick. But is she even a sidekick? I know Neo would be considered like the hero or the main protagonist of that. It's been so long since I watched The Matrix series. But uh, I see her as her own main prominent character in that. So I couldn't really think of one that would necessarily be the lover. I couldn't really think of a good example of that. I mean, stretching the the sort of the bounds slightly you could kind of slot tara into this archetype mm. because like her whole plot arc kind of a lot of it the, the little development she got mm-hmm. revolved around kind of how she wasn't really accepted by her family and then when you first meet her she's this kind of mousy almost downtrodden character but then through the relationship with willow and the acceptance of the scoobies she kind of starts to blossom and her her kind of her journey her growth very much goes through the love and acceptance of willow and the other scoobies so right kind of fits there and she becomes like this life-changing love interest for willow right yeah it kind of like blossoms her sexuality it blossoms her um development and interest in magic so great great point yes yeah i i could definitely see that Uh, another archetype is called the orphan which also is a really interesting thing and also the Example in this article is really great because it brought up Petty Dreadful, which I love so, so much. Um, so the orphan 
The main goal is to belong, yearns for connection with others. They try to fit in, be normal and earn friendship. They have strong empathy and realism and maybe likes to live in fantasy. The orphan. So those that are maybe lonely or melancholy, but they're looking to looking for others and looking for maybe family. So maybe that's also a Tara related thing too. She kind of I was going to say actually, that, I think she's she's that one. Yeah, I have a, an example, but hardly anyone has seen this show, and I haven't even finished it. Um, the show is called Rain. Uh, our our friend of the podcast, Timo Pennicut, has been in an episode. Um, my favorite character from Rain actually fits this perfectly. His name is Bash, short for Sebastian. He's amazing. I got a custom Funko Pop of him for nice. Christmas. Anyway, highly <laughs> recommend that show as well. It's also on Netflix. Um, but yeah, he's exactly all of this. And even likely to live in fantasy, he's always like um, kind of riding his horse outside of the castle. Like he's also deals with like magic and yeah, he's literally this. So that's really mm. interesting because I never knew there was really a word for his type of sidekickness. The next one is the jester, which is definitely a common trope and an archetype. Um, and the example in this article, which I love so much, is Sir Didymus from Labyrinth from the 80s. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously the jester is one that provides our comedic relief in tense scenes or just overall. They're there to have a good time, lighten up the world. They want enjoyment of the moment. They play jokes. They have a, you know, a zest for life. They're maybe a little clumsy and careless, but there are the jesters. And of course, I could see that as Xander for sure. Uh, Topher a bit. He's kind of like the jokester a little bit. That's such a serious show, Dollhouse. But uh, elements of that wash in in Firefly. Um, Doyle for sure in in season one of, of Angel. He's kind of funny. I could also I could also see Cordelia kind of having a little bit of this in Angel. She does have a lot of jokes for the audience and she does kind of lighten it up not towards like the later seasons but a little bit of this that's not like her only role but i have a distinct suspicion that she was first added to the series to play that jester role when they realized like wait a minute actually like christmas carpenter is an amazing actress we should maybe give her a slightly meatier part to play so they they kind of her character grew and evolved out of that but certainly in season one she's very much kind of the archetype of the ditzy wannabe actress yeah she's so funny i think it's at like the very first episode of angel or the second one where angel's at that party and cordelia's at the party and she's like oh my god angel hey and she's like are you still there's not actually a cure for that i better get mingly i really should be talking to people that are somebody it's nice that she's grown as a person i love that moment so so much and I love their dynamic so much, but that is just like pr- primo, like Cordelia, right? See, going. but I just wanted them to stay friends. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. That's fair. I get it. I hear you. I hear you. But comparatively, <laughs> I just like things like I think I feel like a part of okay. Side note: a part of me loves the the trauma and the drama of Buffy and Angel because when I saw it, I was a teenager and everything is life and death and all very traumatic. But as like an adult. That's just less relatable. So I just like love the corny angel relationship because it just makes so much more sense to me as an adult. So if I like separate it, that's kind of how I feel. But like emotionally and sentimentally, (laughs) it's Buffy. Um, We've got a couple of more left. So we have the Explorer, 
So the Explorer was also one that I wasn't, and they had a Game of Thrones reference, which I haven't really watched, so I couldn't really tell you. But the Explorer wants to experience a better, more authentic, more fulfilling life. They yearn for freedom to obviously explore the world and find out who they are. They're scared of conforming or being trapped. They have a strong uh, ambition to learn and trek new paths. They might be a misfit. I mean, the whole Firefly crew wants to, like, do their missions and, like, fly around and do new and wonderful things. Um, but then maybe that's just the the element of, you know, being in space. <laughs> I was kind of leaning towards Zoe for that role. Mm-hmm. But, okay. okay. Yeah, it's like, it kind of fits, but not really. Like, that's that would be stretching it even more than yeah. the previous one. Uh, there's, there's very few Whedonverse characters that fit that archetype. Yeah. Which is quite strange, considering what he's written yeah uh, i would note though that even the game of thrones example used in the article is stretching it quite <laughs> yeah, far as it? well like yeah. if they wrote this article and Tyrion lannister is the best they can come up with <laughs> because he went to the wall one time that like clearly this is a tough archetype to fill i think it is and you know like joss Whedon, i feel like Everybody in the Joss Whedon world, like, they love being in their world, you know? And everybody's immersed in it. They don't really want to explore outside of it. Like, those that live in Sunnydale live in Sunnydale. Or it's L.A. Or, you know, it's space and you just... Traveling is, like, commonplace, you know, for for them. So that's fair. Uh, the next one I like a lot is called The Magician. So this one is pretty straightforward. They, want to, they add mysticism to the world... Um, they're powerful. Um, obviously, there is a legitimate like witchcraft or magic element of it. There's spells and potions. They make wishes come true. The, they have strong skills in finding resolution where everyone wins. Uh, they may or may not be manipulative, but it's more of like a fantastical element to it. And I think in Buffy, that's like very straightforward on who adds the magic into the world. Like Giles throws in a bit of magic. We've got Willow. We've got Tara. Angel, like everybody kind of does a little bit of magical stuff here and there. Yeah, I, was, I was very much leaning towards Giles mm. as the magician of the Whedon-verse. Like, yep. he doesn't literally fill the magic part, but like, the yep. whole kind of bringing of knowledge thing, it's 100% Giles. And, yeah, don't want to be that guy, but really wishing it again, he very much fulfills the manipulative part of that mm. archetype. Yes, yeah. Like, <laughs> he, the, he has some slightly shady things watching it through again now. <laughs> And and Wesley, in a way, an angel. Yeah, you know? yeah. Everybody kind of dabbles with the magic. They all, you know, like, except for Gun, but he's kind of just there. And I feel like sometimes be a body when magic stuff needs to happen. He's more of like, um, he's like our bar- our barbarian, you know. Where he's like, <laughs> I'm just gonna show up. Yeah, we're gonna fight. I'm into it, which I can appreciate. I'm usually a barbarian character if I'm doing something fantasy <laughs> RPG related. It's like I'm just gonna go in there. And uh, fight. Hand-to-hand combat. (laughs) Do you like what you hear on the Nevers podcast? Care to share your opinion? If you do, then consider leaving a review for the show. Your review helps us to reach new listeners and let us know how we're doing. Go on. It only takes a minute. Moving on here. So we love sidekicks. Sidekicks are amazing. And a portion of what I I did write about for folks that may or may not have, have read it is that you know, going into our heroes, so our psychics are there to help our heroes along in their journeys, which is very fantasy terminology here, but our heroes and our sidekicks and journeys, and they kind of just, they lift them up, they help them out, and that's why they're there. And so normally they're less in the spotlight than our heroes, but I personally find 
that when we're talking about the Whedon verse, our most interesting, complex characters are our sidekicks. Willow, Wesley are the two main ones that I brought up in in the in my blog post. Like, because if you think about it, if you look back at like Buffy and Angel, because they're kind of like our main heroes. Again, in Firefly, I'm kind of. I sometimes have a hard time. I feel like everybody is so equal in that show. It's like maybe Mal is like the hero type, but he's also like an anti-hero and like everybody's kind of equal in that show. So it's less like good and evil than it. It's much more nuanced. Obviously that one is a little bit more down to earth, even though it's even, it's a space Western. (laughs) (laughs) See what you did there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So how do you feel about, what are your thoughts and feelings on, you know, just uh, our heroes not always being so likable. And like sometimes our sidekicks aren't that likable, but like our sidekicks, in my opinion, and we're talking about the universe, uh, the Whedon verse, is that our sidekicks overall are m- much more interesting than our heroes. Drusilla is my favorite character in Buffy. Oh, yes. But I, what I love about Buffy so much is that, in my opinion, she's still the most complex character and that's very rare for a lead character to have and that's what I love about her so much and what makes her such a great feminist icon is like 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 you guys have said and and everyone agrees with this besides me apparently usually the main characters aren't the most interesting but I really think Buffy is and and same thing with Angel even though Wesley I think has the best arc of any character of all time um I think Angel is also incredibly complex I I I don't like it when people are like Angel's boring Angel's just moody like no (laughs) like he's I mean he's such a great character that he got his own show right yeah. Like he's yeah. so fascinating and he has such a big history and like his dilemma and you know you know, I'm talking to the choir here, like you guys know. Yeah. Um so it's tough for me to say that the sidekicks are more interesting or more complex. I would argue that they're just as interesting and just as complex. I, I do actually kind of partially partially agree with you on that one. Things the way I see it, and I think it's what actually makes Joss Whedon's shows stand out the way they do as a general rule from what I've seen watching especially a lot of like fantasy and sci-fi shows the main character the, like the kind of the core protagonist tends to be something of a blank slate because that's the character that the viewer is supposed right. to put themselves in the shoes of so if they're doing if, if they're the kind of the subtle deep twisty characters it becomes harder for the the viewer to think okay that's me because we're not all we're not all subtle people i'm sorry it happens so in those situations the sidekicks you, you have kind of the blank main character that we're supposed to see as ourselves so then to stop the show being just a bunch of sort of mannequins walking around you bring in the sidekicks that have the deep complex roles and that's why they often become more interesting characters than the lead what joss does because he's joss and screw the rules is just not not even for the fit on head. He just he makes everyone these complex, twisted characters because he's good enough at writing plot arcs that he can support that and still make you like and kind of put yourself in the shoes of the character, even if they have their own hang ups and sort of twists and turns. Because he's amazing and he writes great characters. Yeah, Joss is great at making our heroes villains or sidekicks villains, but then like they're also heroes and like there's, it's always kind of like a mishmash. Like, yes, we have like our figureheads, our, our angel and our Buffy. 
Um, but like at one point, Willow is a villain. She's a big bad of a season, you know, and it's just like we go back and forth. And I agree that like everybody is complex and everybody is interesting. But for me personally, I do find like when we're comparing, like if you took Buffy and no sidekicks and Angel with no sidekicks, is that something that you want to watch? Not necessarily. I would say no, because we don't have all because the hero is not going to have all these different archetypes. The hero is going to have the hero archetype. And that is, I think, just less less relatable. And that was a portion of the, the blog post is that our sidekicks help make our hero more relatable. They kind of elevate them. They kind of fill in the blanks of like, sometimes our hero isn't super likable. They make bad choices. But then we have our sidekicks kind of in there to maybe like validate them and like show the weakness and show the humanity in our, in our heroes. But like when I watch just a show that had Angel and only Angel, probably not. Maybe I'd watch Buffy, but I'm a woman and I love the Slayer kind of ideal. But like we need these groups of people to just make like an interesting show. Like I just, I just like as Kendra would is like a solo Slayer. And no, like I think she's neat. She's, I think she's much less interesting because she doesn't have, the external influences of the, of the people around her. And I think she would be very flat without it. Nobody to bounce, you know, butt heads with or have fun with or have like anything around them. So that's my thought on it. Like as much as I would love yeah. like other shows and other things about different slayers, um, I found her just very flat. And like, we could see that when the, in the dynamic and the interaction between Buffy and her, where she's like, where Buffy says, her is like, no, my friends are total assets. And like, my feelings and everything. And like, I'm fueled by all of these things. And like, yes, often Buffy's like, no, I don't want to protect you anymore. Like, I don't want you to be there. I don't want to worry about you getting hurt. They're always there anyways. And I think just, I know, (laughs) (laughs) but then it comes down to the friendship idea of it. And like, we all need friends. And like, that just is like a very heartwarming, positive thing that we can see in like all these like fight against evil and darkness and the end of the world. And I don't know, we're all into this together. I don't know why maybe an interesting thing to think about. And I know this wasn't your point, Kelly, but it Mm kind of got me thinking like maybe if someone tells me from now on, like, Oh, I wouldn't want to watch just a show with the main characters because the other characters are more interesting. I'm going to counter with, yeah, but if you started a show with the sidekicks, they would be less interesting. And it, I don't know. That kind of like blew my mind. I'm like, oh, because I feel like the side characters only grew because they're not the main characters. I don't know. It's really fascinating. But regardless, I love sidekicks as well, even if they're not um, my favorites. I mean, yeah, like you said, there's no show without them. Um, Xander was actually my first favorite character of Buffy. Mm. He was one of my um, first favorites as well, way back in the nineties. Yeah, so I, mean, I like him just because I was so I was, I was so like him. So he was kind of the one that I pretended was me. Uh, but yeah, yeah. and and, yeah. and look, I I've, I think I've said this before with uh, Dollhouse and Melly and Paul Ballard. Like, I'm a sucker for someone having a crush on someone, and that person uh, other person's oblivious. So like immediately, I'm like, oh, Xander likes Buffy. Oh, and Willow likes Xander. Willow likes Xander. Oh, because I I love love triangles. And like, I think if I actually think about it, 
that that kind of love triangle in the first season is probably one of the best ever only because they don't really focus on it that much. Like you care about the characters and their relationship as friends so much. Yeah, that's really interesting. But yeah, I love Xander. I still love Xander. I know he gets a lot of hate. Mm. Um, Buffy, that show could literally not exist without him. I know he definitely has some toxic elements. Um, sometimes the way he views women are yeah. always the best, but he's not the only character that does that. And yeah, I think he's just really realistic, especially the mm-hmm. time that the show was written. Yeah. I've known so yeah. many guys like that. So I feel like certain guys that don't like Xander are probably just sad that they're him. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, right. I love him. Right. Well, um, I have to say, with my rewatching of, of Angel, so I just got past where Angel in season two is like gone, very, very dark, and he fires his staff. And like in that, in that, with that little arc, I, as much as I like understand, again, as an adult, I can understand more of the complexities of, of adulthood than I was when this first came out. Um, but that was heartbreaking. Like, he's like, no, he fires all of them, leaves them out in the cold, and they're just going to do their own thing. And I was like, I'm not I'm not on your side on this, Angel. No. Like, I know it's really hard. It, well, again, we talk about the hero, and he has, like, the incredible amount of pressure and expectations that he also puts onto himself of being this hero and getting this redemption and... He's fighting against Wolfram and Hart. He's fighting against this big, bad evil. And it's just like, it's not working. They keep coming down on him. And he's just done. He's like, nope, these people can't be around me anymore. Like, I am in this bad place. So, like, I understand where he's coming from. But, like, that's cold. And, like, I couldn't I couldn't relate to him on that. And oh, I Buffy, loved it. Buffy, <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, too. But I'm just like, man, that's just, I, I just, I was really upset with him this fictional yes. character but, but i was but like listen, no like, that's not <laughs> drew drew and darla are like technically oh. coming back and and arguably those two represent his darkness the most mm. so that's mm. i feel like that's why he's in this really bad headspace yeah oh my god that they represent his darkness jita you just blew my <laughs> mind but it's true <laughs> It's right? true. Oh my god, we're gonna have to talk about Angel and Darla and Drusilla. I think at a later time, because this will be a whole thing. But um, yes, no, I totally get that. I understand like where he was at. I understand that. But Buffy would never. Yeah, she would not do sure. that to her friends. And like that was for really sure. sad. I felt and like everyone was so hurt by that, you know. And it's it's hard to come back and like. And then it has that really wonderful episode where Wesley's like, it's going to take time to win Cordelia back. And then she comes in because he bought her a bunch of clothes. And she's like, oh, my God, I love you. I love you. I love you. And like David Boreanaz is like jumping up and down. He's like, oh, yeah. And Wesley's <laughs> like, I'm an idiot. And like you could see that as like a really superficial thing. But hey, Cordelia loves clothes and she likes that kind of stuff. <laughs> Let her like hold on to something superficial and tangible in this really terrible life, you know, in this yep. darkness and everything that they're going through. I love that moment. Just, just rewatching that show. I have so, there's so many moments where it's like, I love this so much. I love these characters. I love these actors. Like that moment is so good. Anytime that like David Boreanaz shows any kind of humor as angel, I am in. Yeah. But you say, 
I, I kind of love and hate that arc where they go off and kind of they form the Wyndham Price Agency because it's so great seeing the, like the uber bromance between Wesley and Gunn, seeing that kind of evolve. But then just knowing where that's going to end oh, up, it's oh, like, no. oh man, you're just setting me up to knock me down. <laughs> Fuck you, Josh. Don't do that to me. As they do. Oh. As we do. <laughs> okay, so our side, our sidekicks... We know that they're loyal, they're trustworthy, they're self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing, sorry. Uh, we, I find them, they're proactive instead of reactive, or kind of our heroes jump at the gun and they do that. So they're, they're I think, just really interesting characters and that's why I was so inspired to write that. Like, there's there's so much love that we have for, for these characters and, like, I love, like, I adore Angel and, like, Buffy is my everything and she is like the one of the main reasons why i am the woman i am today and like that was a very formative show to to creating who i am but like sidekicks are are amazing so let's move into what are some sidekicks that we could live without like any that we don't really particularly care for in the weedon verse so for me i will say while you guys are thinking like normally people don't like jane in Firefly, like Adam oh, Baldwin, but I love him. Anytime, anytime I revisit Firefly, I was like, I am in love with Jane. He's not likable, but that's why I like him. I'll be in my bunk. Like I just like he's gross. <laughs> he's kind of like he's a, he's such a bro. Um, and you look at like the other men that well, there's Mal, him, and Wash, and like Jane is such a bro dude, and normally not what I'm into. But I think he's kind of like the bro dude with a heart of gold that we just unfortunately didn't really get to develop and experience. But I like Jane Janestown is like my favorite episode of that. Those 12. I am in love with it. And like, I love Jane. So I feel like he's like the he's the sidekick that I think a lot of people dislike and he's easy to not like. But I like that about him. I think one of the reasons why Firefly is so amazing and why we're such a small run, it's still to this day is so kind of held on a plinth. It's because it's got a relatively small tight cast, yep. but there is literally no wasted space yep. anywhere in that cast. Oh my God. Every single person there brings something to the mix. Even the one that I would probably like gun to my head if I was forced to cut someone out, it would be, uh, a certain doctor called Simon Tam. <laughs> but even even then, like, I understand, or while, I, while I don't like him personally, I can see what he adds to the show. And, like, cutting him out would make the show lesser because of it. Like, yeah. I think that's, that's why the show is still heralded as such a masterpiece, because it is just one of the most perfectly written ensemble casts I think I've ever seen. <sighs> He's so good at ensemble cast. Like each week, like yeah. my favorite character would change. I'm like, oh man, I'm into Anara mm. this week. Or in this episode, I'm like, oh Mal, what a character, Nathan Fillion. And then it's like wash the next week. And like, I think that again, I don't like, I watch The Office. I like Parks and Rec. I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And like, I do watch some comedies and like these ensemble casts oh, were like, it's so well-written and every character has its own thing. And they're all so well-written and just like, I can't choose a favorite. Well, it's Holt in Brooklyn Nine-Nine for sure, but... For sure. Come on. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but for... I don't... Like, I don't, I say I don't like Dawn, but, like, I understand why she's there. I don't even... I don't know if I necessarily consider her even a sidekick, though. She's not real... She's a family member. It's like calling jo Joyce a sidekick, which she's not. So we're talking about, like, 
the core group of folks that fight evil. Um, though I used to love Xander, like now as an adult and looking back, I don't really care for Xander that much. Like I get that, you know, and I even put that in my article, that wonderful exchange between him and Don. And like, he's like, I see you. He's like, you're not, you're not ordinary. You're extraordinary. And I was like, what? Ah, I'm crying. It's fine. <laughs> He just like it's I just he's so bland. He's very beige. <laughs> but at the end of season six, he saves the world. Mm-hmm. His episode, mm-hmm. I think it's in season three, where it kind of revolves around him where everyone else is off like fighting. Yep. The Zeppo. So yep. good. The Zeppo, yeah. How could I it forget? Is. That's fair. And we as we know, the females in the Weedenverse get the most besides Wesley. God love Wesley. Um that they get the most um, interesting, diverse characters and and story arcs. Yeah, besides Wesley, that's an interesting thing. I'm going to say something really controversial. I've never said <gasps> on a podcast. <gasps> and Give I'm it to so me. sorry. And it doesn't. It doesn't mean I don't love this character because I do. <sighs> I could personally live oh without Cordelia and Angel. Wait, like no, just that sorry. relationship or? No. The them together. I'm sorry. <gasps> wait, wait. Okay, so separately you could do without Cordelia as a character yes, and then yes. Angel as a character. Whoa. Whoa. Because here's my only thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay. That's, that's tough because obviously the show wouldn't be Angel without her. <sighs> like season five of Angel's the best and she's not in it. And... Mm-hmm. sorry and you know that could be also because like her arc got super weird at the end it could also mm-hmm. be because season five got so many buffy writers in there and her last episode mm-hmm. in angel in season five is like one of the best things like ever so it, it could be a lot of different factors but i just loved the group in angel season five i could watch them yeah. forever and and also it could be maybe because i did spikes back <laughs> that definitely helped love him he's my second fave love him but yeah. but and it could also be because i didn't want angel and cordelia to be together so there's a lot of things but i still think that group in season five of angel is but i love what she does in the show Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. But you're also saying you could do without Angel. So you would take away season two of Buffy and take away Angel the entire No, no, no. No? I'm sorry. I meant Cordelia <laughs> in Angel. Angel, to me, oh, I, okay. I personally wish Angel stayed on Buffy. Okay. Okay. I, say, okay, okay. I thought I was going to have the hottest take this episode, but I think you've just blown <laughs> sorry, me out of the water with sorry. that one. <laughs> this is going to just smooth by clean sailing after that. Yeah, gun to my head, if I had to remove one kind of Buffyverse sub-character, side-character, the one I could probably do without, because I feel like their arc is slightly unnecessary with the way the season goes from after they've left, would be Oz. Right. I love him as a character, but what actual purpose does he solve <laughs> except for being yeah. Willow's first boyfriend that eventually leaves because they don't want her to have a boyfriend? Like, he was yeah. clearly just written nope. to be someone that shows interest in Willow to yeah. build up her confidence so yep. that when her actual, you know, one true love, Tara, arrives, yep. she has the push to make the first move that is required. 
I'm going to back you up. I'm totally going to back you up on this because though he mm. helps the Scoobies out, he is a werewolf. Yeah. But and we never yeah. see that actual as an asset because they don't use him as a werewolf to help fight evil. He's just there to like sometimes, you know, use a crossbow and hold up a cross and yeah. and whatever. Yes, I can get behind that. I also love him as He's a character. He's literally just there to make really yep. dry, sarcastic quips. Yep. And frankly, this that is the That's what everyone does. I find that, I <laughs> That's find why you're so, here. <laughs> I find it so fascinating with Oz because I wonder if that was a writing decision made because they were unsure that Seth Green would stay around. I feel like that was on purpose. I could be wrong, but that's a really good, like, if if at Comic-Con the Buffy writers ever have a panel, which, like, how has that never happened? That's a good question. <laughs> like, why didn't you guys ever use Oz as a werewolf, like, when they're fighting vampires? Like, why didn't you use him more? Mm. Especially yeah. when he then, come, after his little break, and he comes back, and he's like, yeah, I can control it now. It's like, that yeah. would have been the perfect one like, oh, it's a vampire, guess what? Rah! Nom. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you Fucking like being bitten, fool? Yeah. Nom. But... Again, it just it, it comes back and then he immediately loses it because he realizes that his girlfriend isn't into him anymore. And then, and then he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. I can get behind that. Hot take. Second. Sorry. Yeah. Cordelia is one of my favorite arcs uh, in all of fiction. I love the journey she goes on. Oh, I love Cordelia. Yeah, I think she has an amazing journey. I would. It's just the ending is so... And it's not her fault. Just no. the writing yeah. is so bad. Yeah. It does yeah. go a bit weird towards the end. I'll it give does. you that one. The I whole um, her and Connor section, I could yep. do without. Yeah. Like, if yep. it had finished, if her arc had finished at the end of season... No, I won't... Yeah, it's a 10-year-old show, 20-year-old yep. show. Yeah. Like, if the last we saw of her was her ascending into the heavens in the season three mm. finale, yeah. and then she came back for that amazing season five episode, because yes. you that. Oh, yeah. Yep. That would be... That would be perfect. Yes. Yep. Like if the if the the Cordelia that was in season four was was just like maybe with Jan, Jasmine right from the start, or was just a higher power that had fallen to right, Earth, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I think it would make her arc a little bit better. Yeah, totally. But I agree with that. she still has like one of the most brilliant, like going from Valley Girl to uh, Goddess. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, how, can you, how can you hate that arc? So, the death. Of our heroes compared to the death of our beloved sidekicks. So that's that's a hard one. Angel, I guess, has not officially died. But the essence of Angel, our hero, has been removed a couple of times where he has become Angelus, which is almost like a dying. Like in season two of Buffy, he becomes Angel again and is sent to a hell dimension. So he's not dead per se. So he actually hasn't like officially died. But Buffy has died a couple of times, and that destroyed me. Destroyed me. So how do you guys feel? Like, what are what are some of our sidekick deaths that maybe have affected you the most? So, Anya, in the last episode, Ooh. I absolutely love how it was just quick. It was just one shot, because that is how war is, and not everyone yeah. gets this big finale, and especially that since I was yeah. foreshadowed with her and Andrew talking. Um, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, you Still know what, Gina? Me. You bring that up, yeah, because I find a lot of I feel the same way that you do about that. But a lot of people are so mad that she didn't get that like big dramatic death. But I I I I feel exactly like you. Like this was like. Again, unprecedented times. Like, this was the end. Like, this was, like, the biggest epic battle that they have ever experienced in seven to eight years. And, yeah, 
we're on, they're not all going to come out of this. They even said that themselves and like, yep. And that's, that was the most realistic death. I think of like that whole series. And like, that's just what happens. That's what would happen to everyone in reality. If you were fighting against darkness and evil and all these hordes of vampires and demons, the forces of darkness, um, you know, like that's what's, what would happen. It would not be this epic struggle and this epic death. He was like, nope, you were just taken out. So like, I love that, but like, I, like, I understand why people are so upset, but I'm with you. I'm just like, yep. And then just just Xander asking about her and that's it. Like, oh yeah. There's no time to grieve. You got to like run and move on. And like, eventually like you're going to grieve about this. And I get it. I, I also, yeah. Somehow the worst part for me wasn't that she died. It was when they were leaving and they're running. She's like, where's Anya? And there's that shot where you can see like he was about Uh. a meter away from her. Maybe he could Uh. easily have grabbed her and run, but he just, he couldn't see her. So he didn't do it. And it's like, oh man, that's just, that's just twisting the knife. That's such a horrible weeding thing to do. I know. Um, Tara, Tara's death is obviously a, a a big one, which is upsetting. Wash, Wash is like, again, it comes down to like, that is like such a, a perfect, appropriate, like practical death. It's like, again, it's war and like, you're just going to be snuffed out just like that. And like, Joey's just like, Wash, Wash, honey, get up. And you're like, no, you don't have time. You have to keep going. You, that's what's the, I feel like that's the most devastating aspect that like, they have to like comp, uh, compartmentalize their grief to deal with a little bit later on. You're like, nope, we have to fight now. You have to survive now. You can think about this and grieve later, but right now you have to move on. And I'm getting chills. I'm getting chills right now. I'm a leaf on the wind. Watch how I go. Wash, baby, baby, no, baby, come on, you gotta go, come on, we gotta move, baby, please, you gotta move, baby, come on. And that's what I feel like is the the most devastating out of uh, some of those deaths is like, no, it's the war, it's the war deaths. Tara, Tara was very different. I feel like her death was metaphorically very devastating, but like in, like in, the moment less so if i hope that makes sense like a lot of a lot of with tara is it was kind of it was more the shock than anything else like yeah they're just they're there and they're talking and then suddenly she's the you just see like a splash of blood and she's gone and that's it yeah and then kind of you grieve through willow as she you know, yeah destroys the world in yeah her grief and it's like you kind of you it's the, you, you get you get your catharsis through her but then like with anya and with wash you, you, you there's no time you have to just kind of soldier on literally is where that phrase comes from and it's just so it's like unnecessarily brutal agreed who else dies that's a sidekick i don't think anyone else angel oh i've blocked it out because it's too much for me fred yep although it does set up one of the best scenes in the finale it's gonna be okay longer and then you'll be where I am (laughs) we'll be together (laughs) I 
very touching his meaningless death was. That this fight was never for mortals. Oh. <laughs> Take your best shot, little girl. Uh, like, I can't wait, but also I'm dreading when all of that happens. Yeah, so I totally removed that from my memory, and we should probably not even talk about it. So, obviously, Fred's death is deeply impactful. That is honestly <laughs> the worst death on TV that I've yeah. ever seen, because it's it's slow in a way. Obviously, it happens throughout, is it one episode, I think? But it's, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, it's... Uh, I think, okay, thinking about all these deaths, I think that that one, obviously, because I removed it from my memory, it was so traumatic, that that is, like, m- the worst for me. That is and, the and worst with Fred, for me. I'm sorry to bring this up, but, like, her last line, uh, like, I'm literally tearing up just thinking about it. I can't. Don't you I dare. Can't. Tell me. Tell it to me. Just give it to me. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> She's literally in Wesley's arms. Oh. <laughs> She's in Wesley's arms, and it's just them, uh, and she's like, oh. Why can't I stay? Ah! Oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry you asked. I'm sorry I I can't. Like, I'm literally tearing up. Oh, I have chills. Oh, my God. I'm dreading this rewatch now. Whew, that is a downer. I am feeling gutted. So let's move into the final aspect of the sidekicks of the Weedinverse and briefly say, uh, let's talk about who our favorite sidekicks of the Weedinverse are. I feel like... Through this whole discussion, we kind of given a glimpse to who we love. Um, so, yeah, why don't you guys go first? Like, who are some of your, like, top favorite sidekicks that you love? I mean, like, saying who's your favorite Joss Whedon character, it's literally all of them. I love every single one of them because they're all amazing. Like, pushed, you know, like, because the, you know, we've, time is ticking on the episode, we have to say something. I would probably say top three I mean, Topher's definitely up there because I love Topher. Fred is obviously the number one because she's my wife. How can I not pick her as my number one? Like, they're all they they all have like such amazing arcs and such, such great depth of character. That I mean, you can't pick a favorite. It's impossible. They're all so well, they're so perfectly realized. Except Simon. If oatmeal was a, you know, person, some of us have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking up for the beige folks, that's that's you. The underdogs, the under the underdogs, the beige, exactly. the beige characters. Speaking of beige, Xander is in is my, one of my faves. I've loved him forever, but then obviously in season seven, that speech he gives to Don obviously solidified why I've loved him forever and still continue to like, despite everything he's been through and not having superpowers and not being the smartest person, like. He has the biggest heart, and that's amazing. Okay, I think the thing about Xander is that he's a prop, and I don't—I don't mean like a film prop or a TV prop. But in, he's there, like he's a support. He's—he yeah. keeps everyone else up. Like what he does isn't particularly glamorous or important, but if he wasn't there, everything else. Right, would fall and, apart. and I think that's just so much about like. I don't know, a, a metaphor of everyday people. And even think about what's going on in the world now. Like, people overlook the people that just do ordinary, bland jobs. But, like, they're heroes, too. Yep, not all heroes wear capes. Um, If I had to choose, like, top three, it would probably be Willie. Willie? Nope, that's not a person. I just put, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just put Willow and Cordy together to, 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 to make Willie. 
Um, Willow, Cordelia, <laughs> and I was going to say Giles. Giles is like my instinct. Willow, Cordy, and Giles are my top three. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely add Cordelia would be in my third place just because her arc is so amazing. Yeah. With probably um, Wesley in fourth. Ugh, yeah. Like, I also love him. He would be, like, in my top five, but I I love the women of the Whedonverse so much. Good characters, bad characters, heroes, sidekicks villains whatever they are incredible so i would i would i would say them now let's check in with our listeners and open up the nevers mailbag if you have a question comment topic suggestion or if you want to correct something we've said in the previous episode write it all down and send it to us at the nevers podcast at gmail.com or tweet it to us at the nevers podcast with no a and we'll read it on an upcoming episode. That's at the Nevers P O D C S T. Our first letter for the evening is from Stuffer Muffin, who's back. Whee! Hello, friends. It's been a while since I last wrote to you. My question is fairly simple. How the hell did we buy Xander, Cordy, and Willow surviving one encounter, never mind several, with vampires, werewolves, and every other breed of demonic monster? It's completely ludicrous. They're pedestrians, and Buffy, while possessing superhuman strength and skill, is still just one person who can battle one demon at a time. Is it just a case of good writing by Joss, or are we all just dumb? Or is it just me? Your half-baked, moist, slightly gross friend, Stuffer Muffin. That's a great question there. And I've got to say, I think the thing is, like, demons and vampires and werewolves are generally considered to be quite strong but it just seems like as far as kind of universe powers go Buffy does seem to be on the lower end I don't think the vampires in Buffy are that much stronger than an ordinary human like, they make the thing of like oh she's the slayer the one born with the power but then you know you see like freaking Xander and Willow can tag team one together a mm-hmm. gun has grown up fighting vampires for years on the streets like i don't think vampires in this are particularly kind of that much stronger than humans mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i mean there is a there is a pinch of suspension of disbelief but mm-hmm. you know, i don't think it's imp- i think what they should have done is maybe have people get injured a little bit more like show the wear and tear of fighting and then i think it would have been fine yeah, I agree. There's definitely that suspension of, uh, of belief that you need to need to have. Oh, yeah, because in reality, they all would have died a long time ago or would have been mangled way more often. Mm. Yeah, I think it would have been much more, I guess, realistic to have them injured more regularly. Um, I guess except for Giles, because he's always injured and always knocked out. <laughs> but like Xander and Willow and Anya and the others, like the very rare time do they have any kind of injuries. Sometimes, oh, we're in a sling now. Oh, there's a bruise here. But yeah, like they sh- they would have been 
maimed a lot more often. And I think I, I do agree with you that the vampires are, especially because we see a lot of like newer ones, um, that they're not actually that much stronger. But she also encountered, they encounter a lot of demons, large, scary demons. And yeah, they all survive. So it's a show. I don't know. <laughs> it's a fantasy show. Here's here's my counter. Here's my writery counter to that. <laughs> yes, they definitely should have been injured more, 100%. However, they're not just normal people walking around the street that have no idea about these vampires or monsters. So they have done research about specific monsters before they ever really fight them. Or mm-hmm. with vampires, they have stakes. They're prepared. They, It's not just one of them versus a vampire. It's a group thing. So, yes, they definitely should have gotten injured more. That's probably budget-wise, like, less makeup that they have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. But I do believe that... They could go up against them. And like Kelly mentioned, it's newer vampires. So it's not like the vampires have had a chance to like train even more or get used to fighting people. So, yeah, like having Xander go up and let's say against uh, the master. Oh, no. Buffy even dies. So, yeah, no, they definitely would have died. So we keep our like normal human characters away from big, big bads like that. And like. Having, well, you know, going up against Glory, she she stole the mind of, of Tara and beat the hell out of Buffy. But, like, if any of the other ones would have actually had to come up against Glory, oh, yeah, they all would have died immediately. You know, so we, they were really smart about keeping them away from true threats. You know, great question, Stuff-A-Muffin. <laughs> Gotta love a fantasy show. <laughs> Horror fantasy. Our next um, <laughs> listener-submitted letter is from... One of our faves, Berger. Dear Lost Boys and Girls of the Nevers podcast. One thing I find interesting about Buffy the Vampire Slayer is that the Scoobies are friends first and sidekicks second. This means that members aren't recruited for their monster fighting skills. The only way to join seems to be by dating one of the core members, or in the case of Don, through nepotism. This means that you can have characters like Tara, who isn't particularly good at fighting monsters, but who's a good friend great friend to have around. Tara is able to calm down Willow, make sure Don isn't neglected, and make Buffy open up about her secret shame and existential crisis. At the risk of sounding sappy, love is Tara's superpower. Oh, mm. And being a good friend is a more useful skill in the real world than beating people up. See? The mm. Scoobies being mainly a friend group also allows for some hilarious parallel storylines where a demon fighting plot and a social plot runs in tandem to each other, such as in Pangs, where the Scoobies are trying to figure out how to stop a Native American inventions demon, while Buffy is trying to ring to party with her bickering found family after Joyce failed to include her in her Thanksgiving plans. Love that episode. Mm. In other Whedon shows, the characters are colleagues first and friends second, Ooh, mm-hmm. which makes for a very different environment. Anyway, take care, keep calm, don't drink bleach, lots of love that's a very great uh thing to bring up i mean i feel like the angel characters become friends but they do start off as colleagues first that's really interesting yeah definitely with gun like gun had skills and they're like oh yeah no we could use you and then we become friends um like fred did this brought out of the paleo realm and to take care of her and then she becomes helpful um yeah, no, I, I know he's uh, Will is always Will as in Burger uh, is always very insightful uh, about these things. Yeah, but I love that. And Tara's superpower. Yeah, like she's a super powerful witch, but we don't focus on her as much. We focus on Willow, but she is she's very grounded. And that's what I think is helpful for Willow as her character develops. And for everybody else, she's very sweet. She's very grounded in these high stress in environment. She doesn't seem to freak out. 
freak out as much as like other characters would. Like she's incredibly well-rounded individuals. So we need those. We need those types of people in our day-to-day lives to keep us all on an even plane for sure. Okay, we're going to move on to our last letter. Uh, Hello, friends. Your last mailbag was so small that decided to do my part. Do you think Willow would have explored the practice of magic or witchcraft if she wasn't friends with a vampire slayer? Would she have found her way to paganism even if she wasn't exposed to the world of demons and slayers? Helene. Ooh. Ooh, good question. Alternate universes. Um... Well, alternate universe in the wish, she turns into a vampire. So I I don't think I don't think that would have happened. I think she would have went her basic route of being smart with technology and going getting into a school really early and that would be her her path because she wouldn't have known that there is this whole other world or she would become a vampire. When I first read this question, I was thinking like I think she probably would have because she still would have gone to college, would have met Tara and would have gone through it that way. But actually, as I was saying, think about it. If she hadn't known Buffy, she wouldn't have gone to Sunnydale U because she had um, acceptance letters from everywhere. Harvard and Amazing. Yale. She would have yeah. gone. Yeah, she would have come and gone to Cambridge and met me, and we would have settled down. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my initial thought was, yeah, she would have because she would have had a similar path, but maybe a bit less kind of homicidal. But actually, I think I think. I think you're right there, Kelly. She would have gone to like a like MIT or somewhere and would have been building kind of quantum computers rather than dredging out temples to end the world. Well, I think that's that. I think that's the end of our sidekicks of the Weedenverse episode. What a big, fun, emotional one this this has been a roller coaster today. <laughs> it's been thirsty. Yeah. It's been sad. We've gotten chills. Yeah. We've cried. We've laughed. Hot, Hot takes. takes. <laughs> it's it's been a it's been a day. So I want you to please remember to subscribe to the Nevers podcast and rate us on Apple podcast. Find us on HBOthenevers.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HBOthenevers. Visit the Nevers podcast on Patreon and please consider becoming a supporter of ours. Thank you to Gita and Tig for joining me today to on this roller coaster of emotions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and how can our people find you in the world of the internet? Twitter and Instagram at Gina Gemini. Gemini spelled G E M E N I. And I am not on social media because I'm secretly a very boring person and don't want anyone else to know. I just love. <laughs> Any answer that you have to the social media question, so thank you. <laughs> um, for me, you can find me on Twitter at kgredner, Instagram. Sometimes I'm confused on what my Instagram is, but I'm pretty sure right now it's Venal Anatomica. Or you can just find me under Kelly Gredner, and you can, I'm sure you can find something there. Uh, my other project is Spinsters of Horror. My podcast is I Spit on Your Podcast, and that is spinstersofhorror.com. So until next time, folks, we'll see you then on the Nevers Podcast. Take care. Bye. This episode was written and produced by Kelly Gredner and edited by Matthew Yamanashi at Culture Inject Studios. The intro and outro music was produced by Jilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. 
You can keep up to date on The Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers Podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. Would you have loved me? I've loved you since I've known you. No, that's not. I think maybe even before. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I need you to talk to my parents. They have to know I wasn't scared. That it was quick. That I wasn't scared. Oh, God. You have to fight. You don't have to talk. Just concentrate on fighting. Just hold on. I'm not scared. I'm not scared.